All right. Our topic for this evening is another very, very important topic from the standpoint of the book of Proverbs. It's the topic of justice and our need to pursue justice. Justice, that term, the concept, is certainly a popular word in our culture today. And even within this past week, it has once again filled the airwaves. It's all over the media. Justice. And many today are ready to use any means possible or conceivable to achieve their own version of justice. Even this last year, the year 2020, saw over $2 billion worth of damages done to public infrastructure, to commercial businesses and private property, all in the name of justice. As you know very well that many in the cities across the United States took to the streets, took to protests and riots, and many engaged in vandalism. As I said, $2 billion, the most the largest insurance claims ever in the history of the country due to riots. As well last year, in the name of justice, 15 people died as a result of the unrest. At least 15 people, could have been more, probably was. Certainly, countless numbers were injured during the unrest. And of course, as we know, many untold numbers lost their jobs lost their livelihoods as some of their businesses burned down or closed up. And all of this was done in the name of justice. All of this was done in a so-called pursuit of justice. Billions of dollars worth of damage, lives taken, the damage done to livelihoods, all of this in the name of justice. Reminds me of that famous phrase or statement in The Princess Bride when Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word, I do not think you know, I I do not think what you think it means. I do not think it means what you think it means. Let me say that again. (laughs) You keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. Of course, that was in response to inconceivable. But I think that statement well reflects our culture's use of the term justice today. It is thrown around plentifully with very little understanding of what justice really is. Now, indeed, injustice is dominant in this world. Every day we see either deliberate acts of injustice, or we see the consequences of injustice in this world. We live in a world that's outside of the innocence of the garden. And this world that we live in today is a world that is filled with sin, ruled by the prince of injustice, is a world that is marked by corruption. So, yes, injustice is dominant in this world. And accordingly, in the scriptures, justice, the concept of justice, is indeed a dominant theme. It is an important concept, a truth, a quality that is emphasized from beginning to end. Most importantly, we read that God Himself is a God of justice. Justice is rooted in His character. Moreover, we also recognize when we read the scriptures that justice is a quality that is required of those whom God has redeemed, those whom God has adopted, those whom God has justified and transformed, regenerated, made new. Justice is a requirement of the redeemed. And so naturally, when we think of the book of Proverbs, a book that is all about skillful living, 
we must recognize that Proverbs has to deal with justice, and it certainly does. Now, before we get into that, let me remind you of a definition of wisdom. If Proverbs is all about wisdom, and it is, then what is wisdom? And then we'll see how that relates to justice. Let me give you a quote here from Richard Mayhew as he defines the concept of wisdom. Quote, wisdom reflects the intent and discipline to make godly choices in a world filled with sinful distractions and detours. Wisdom represents the culmination of knowing and understanding carried to its practical and ultimate end. Wisdom involves knowing the facts of divine revelation in Scripture as well as understanding them in the sense of comprehending God's intention that they lead to a life of redemption and personal sanctification. Wisdom, then, engages the human intellect and will to translate this knowledge and understanding into a pattern of godly experience as the habit of one's life, end quote. That's wisdom. And when we think of justice, justice is integral to this kind of skillful experience, this kind of skillful living. Now, let's now define justice a little more specifically. What, what is justice, biblically speaking? How do we define justice in terms of how God has revealed it to be, how God describes it? What is biblical justice? Let me define it this way, and this is going to be a definition that will form the basis for our entire discussion tonight, and it's a very important one, and it's crucial, especially in our culture where the word justice is thrown around all the time, it's crucial to understand what justice is is from the standpoint of God's word. And a definition of justice, biblically speaking, is as follows. Justice refers to righteous relations to all others who come across life's path. Let me say that again. It's very simple. It's not philosophical because the concept of biblical justice is not philosophical like it is in so many of the discussions today are in social justice issues. Biblical justice is very concrete. And it comes down to this. Justice is the right relation to others who come across your path in this life. That's what justice is. It means that as you interact with other people, as you, as you walk through this path of life, you, you, other people intersect that path. You have various people who you are bringing along with you as you go, your family, and you're involved with co-workers and church members and so on. You intersect with a lot of other people. Justice is that you have the right relationship to those people depending on their state, depending on what's going on in their life. Justice is the right, or what we would say, the righteous relationship to all others who come across life's path. And then obviously that means we must have wisdom. We must have skill in being able to to grow those relationships or to handle those relationships in a way that is correct in the eyes of God. The term justice, as a a sub-point here, the term justice is very similar in Scripture to the term righteousness. Now, in, in... the Hebrew, these terms, and in particular in the book of Proverbs, these terms are a little different, but they're used very similarly because in, in many cases, they're really synonyms, justice and righteousness. They speak of a moral quality. They speak of a way of interaction, a way of behavior with respect to others. A righteous person is a person who relates rightly to his neighbor, to his wife, to his children, to his other employees or co-workers. He relates rightly to authorities in his life. That is a righteous person, a person who has right behavior. And the same is true of justice. 
In a general sense, when we talk about justice, we're talking, and when we talk about a just person, we're talking about a person who knows how to rightly relate to all of those in his life, all of those whom the Lord puts a cross on his path. He knows God's law, God's will for him in that relationship. That's what justice is as well. Now, if you want to distinguish them, and this is just a side note here, there are times when we can distinguish justice from righteousness, and we can do so in this way. Righteousness, as Bruce Waltke, one of the commentators notes, he says this, righteousness refers to the moral quality that establishes right order, so it's a right relationship, righteousness, and justice refers to the moral quality that restores that order when it is disturbed. So that's one way we could think of the distinction between righteousness and justice if we want to distinguish those two terms. And sometimes within the book of Proverbs, justice will be used in more of this specific sense, in the restoration of something that has gone into disorder. It's a restoration in some way. But in many cases, the term justice, as we will see in the book of Proverbs, will be used really in the same sense as the term righteousness. It refers to right relations, right relations with all those whom God puts across our path. And so as we go through this lesson this evening, as we go through this study, I want you to think about those who come across your path. I don't want this to remain something that's abstract or ambiguous. We have to think in concrete terms. So as we go through, think about those people, even today, or the last week, or the last month, who have come across your path, and ask yourself the question, that according to God's word, do you have a right relationship with that person? Or that group of people? If you do, that is justice. That is the expression of right relations. If you don't, that is going to be called an injustice. You are relating to them. You are treating them in a way that is contrary to the expressed will of God. Now, when we study the book of Proverbs and look at this topic of justice, I think we can take all of its teaching and put it into seven key principles, seven lessons about justice and its pursuit according to the book of Proverbs. And this is so very important for us to study, especially in these days, where, as I said, the term justice is, is thrown around so much that it's really become meaningless. I mean, it, 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 one of the ironies, if you can call it an irony, is that you'll, you'll drive down certain areas of the city, see the graffiti, and somebody has vandalized and put justice on property they do not own. Talk about an injustice, right? But that's the hypocrisy of our culture's understanding of justice. It's so important. In fact, there's a a new book coming out by Vody Bauckham called Fault Lines. just came out. It deals a lot with this issue of justice. And he says in the opening pages, he, he says this, and it really puts the spotlight on our key problem today, and he says this, quote, our problem is a lack of clarity and charity in our debate over the place, priority, practice, and definition of justice, end quote. And so this evening, what we want to do is look at Proverbs and use the teaching in Proverbs to help correct this problem that may exist even in ourselves. Let's look at the first of these lessons. Number one. Number one, justice cannot be correctly defined apart from divine revelation. This is a crucial point. Justice cannot be correctly defined apart from divine revelation. Now, if you've been paying attention through the previous 20 lessons in this series that we've been going through this year, we always begin with a a point similar to this. And it comes down to what we call the principium of wisdom, the, the starting point of all wisdom. 
And if wisdom is, is made up of justice, and justice is a component of wisdom, then if we are going to have justice, we, we need to start where wisdom starts. And the book of Proverbs makes it very, very clear that if we are to grow in wisdom, we must begin at a certain place. And it's what we call the fear of the Lord. The motto of the book is expressed in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or in chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, if you remember some of our previous comments, I've said when we come across this phrase in the book of Proverbs, as in the book of Job, and as in the Psalter, the term the fear of the Lord doesn't speak here in this context to our activity. It's not our activity, our initiation that begins the process of wisdom, that puts it in man's hands. Instead, this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is a special term that is a synonym for divine revelation. You could, you could paraphrase it this way. Divine revelation is the beginning of knowledge. Divine revelation is the beginning of wisdom. And, and so in this sense, it's parallel to what we see in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9, where the fear of the Lord is used there also, and it's listed as parallel, synonymous to the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. All these things are speaking of the same thing, divine revelation. And the book of Proverbs makes it very clear that divine revelation, the knowledge that God reveals, the truth that he has made known, has to be the starting point for all understanding of all other issues, particular, particularly those related to morality and ethics and so on. And when, the, when Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, he's also not saying that it's, it's like the first step in a horizontal path. As if you take the step and you're done with it and then you move on to other things. Rather think of this beginning as a ladder. It's the first step up. And if you remove that step, the entire ladder falls to the ground. That's how Solomon is perceiving, is, is expressing the concept of divine revelation. It is the starting point. It is the foundation. And if it is removed or ignored, you cannot have a true understanding of these issues. And the very same thing applies to the issue of justice. If you remove divine revelation, if you take out of the picture, out of the discussion, God's word, you cannot have a true understanding or definition of justice. Any effort to explain justice, to define justice, to prescribe justice that is made apart from God's word will be faulty from the very outset. If you refuse the scriptures, you start with some other foundation, with some other first step in a ladder. And that one will be faulty. It will be man-made. And it will be polluted by sin and it will be infected by the truth-suppressing bias of man. So we must define justice according to Scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Now, when justice is defined otherwise, and Proverbs certainly refers to this, when, when we take moral, ethical, theological issues into our thinking, and we operate according to something else other than Scripture, we automatically gravitate to our own intuition, our own reasoning, our own subjectivity. And Proverbs denounces this. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there's a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. And let me say this, if you define justice according to your own intuition, this proverb applies it may seem right to you, but in the end it will lead to death. Proverbs 16 verse 2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, 
But the Lord weighs the motives. And the proverb there emphasizes the fact that by default, the human condition assumes its own perspective to be correct and unassailable. The book of Proverbs dismantles that idea. It's only the word of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, that is pure. And this also means that apart from the Lord, that is, the God who revealed himself in the Bible, there can be no true expression of justice. And this is something also that's very important to note today in the discussions that take place all over the media and all kinds of discussions, political discussions, discussions at the office cooler, the water cooler, uh, those kinds of things. A lot of it is just devoid of any reference to God whatsoever. And if it is devoid of God as the source of justice, you can be sure that there will be no true understanding. Justice is rooted in God's character. Now, a a presupposition even that many will have, sometimes even Christians, will have this idea that justice is something that exists outside of God as a, an impersonal standard, as if there is a law book somewhere out there that exists and God makes himself conform to this impersonal, external set of laws that determine what justice is. You talk with some Christians and they have that idea and it is patently false. The Bible is clear that there is no standard that exists above God or outside of God that determines what he must become or what he must be. Rather, it is his own character that defines everything else. And so if we are to talk about justice, we must look to the scriptures. And as we look to the scriptures, the fear of the Lord, we also recognize that justice arises from the essence of God himself. You remove the scriptures and you remove Yahweh out of the equation and you will not have any true, complete, accurate, pure understanding of justice. And that's so important today because of what we hear so often today. You've heard of things like critical theory and Marxism. These are ideologies, philosophies, Marxism is a philosophy and critical race theory or critical theory comes from Karl Marx and those of his ilk. And you hear of Christians today who say, you know what? We can take the Bible and see some definitions of justice there. And then we can look to other human ideologies like Marxism or critical race theory, and we can use them to help us understand the Bible. And that, that logic suggests the following. God wasn't either clear enough in his word or he wasn't sufficient enough in his word. And you need these other tools to help understand what justice really is. One scholar said this about Marxism. And this ex- exposes the problem that many, even in evangelicalism, have today with their way of approaching the issue of justice. They appeal to certain tenets of Marxism. Michael Haken says this, quote, the cultural precondition of Marxism is atheism. The idea that some kind of rapprochement, some kind of harmony can be made with this ideological worldview and its analytical tools used without fear of pollution is extremely naive in the statement of on social justice and the gospel that our pastor had a part in crafting a couple of years ago there is an important statement that expresses this as well and i think it's helpful to bring it in at this point the statement reads as follows under its definition of justice after an affirmation it says this we deny that true justice can be culturally defined or that standards of justice that are merely socially constructed can be imposed with the same authority as those that are derived from Scripture. We further deny that Christians can live justly in a world 
under any principles other than the biblical standard of righteousness. Relativism, socially constructed standards of truth or morality, and notions of virtue and vice that are in constant flux cannot result in authentic justice. Solomon would summarize that all in one statement. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the beginning of justice is not human intuition. It is God himself. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says this, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. Or the psalmist in Psalm 33 verse 4 to 5, For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Or Psalm 89 verse 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. We must begin with God's word when it comes to defining justice. Number two, justice is an essential ingredient for and a consequence of true wisdom. Now, this is important to understand, too, because the way the book of Proverbs presents this. On the one hand, as we're going to see, the the book of Proverbs shows that it is a necessity for growth in wisdom. The one who is going to grow in wisdom is the one who must pursue justice, But at the same time, the book of Proverbs will also teach us that the one who grows in wisdom will automatically grow in justice. It's this reciprocal nature. You pursue one, you'll get the other. You pursue the other, you'll get the one as well. Both wisdom and justice are integral to each other. Now remember, justice, we said, is relating to others in a manner that is consistent With righteousness, it's right relations, and that is based on God's character and his will. The God-fearer who pursues justice, who pursues these righteous relations, will naturally increase in wisdom. He will grow in the skill of successful living. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, I'm, I'm going to be just, but I'm going to disband or I'm going to reject the call of biblical wisdom. You can't do that. And you can't say, I'm just going to be interested in biblical wisdom. Justice is not that important to me. You can't do that either. These two things go hand in hand. Notice, for example, Proverbs 2, verses 6 to 9. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. There's a synonym for our understanding of right relations. God stores up wisdom for the upright. He preserves wisdom for those who pursue righteousness. Solomon continues, God is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. And then Solomon says this, Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. So on the one hand, he says, listen, God will give wisdom to those pursuing righteousness. And on the other hand, he will say, as you grow in wisdom, he will give you justice. He will give you right relations. These two things go hand in hand. They cannot be split It's integral. And if we're serious about growing in wisdom, we will be serious about justice. And if we're serious about justice, we must be serious about growing in wisdom. We can go to the very prologue of the book, Proverbs 1, verses 2 to 3, and we read that the book of Proverbs was compiled for this very reason. And notice how these concepts are all intertwined. It was compiled, quote, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the, say, the, the sayings of understanding, and to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. All of these things are, 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 are combined. You can't split them. Or later on 
in Proverbs chapter 8, Lady Wisdom says this in verse 8, All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness, and there is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They're just. And then in verses 15 to 21, Lady Wisdom says this, By me, kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. So understand this, those who are hostile to the call of lady wisdom can never be authorities in the area of, area of justice. You need to understand that. We need to take the words of scripture at their face value here. And, and, and I want to press this, you cannot look on the justice warriors of this world who patently reject the call of lady wisdom to fear God, we cannot look to them as our authorities in justice. Now, we must pursue justice. This comes together with lady wisdom. But when we look to others who have rejected lady wisdom, how can we expect to find justice there? And it was a travesty this past year To have evangelical leaders aligning themselves with the very same people who reject the call of lady wisdom. And say they're standing for justice. They're not standing for biblical justice. They are aligning themselves with an unbiblical kind of justice that arises from someone who has rejected the call of scripture. And we must be very careful not to align ourselves with them because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what harmony is there light with darkness? If we are serious about preserving the purity of justice, a proper understanding of justice because it comes from God's character himself, we must be very careful not to pollute it by joining together with those who reject lady wisdom. In fact, Proverbs will go on to say this, the thoughts of the righteous are just, Proverbs 12, verse 5, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And that pertains very much to this whole discussion. Proverbs 28, verse 5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Number three, justice manifests itself in practical behavior and concrete situations. Now, what's important to note this is today's discussions about justice are often bathed in the abstract. If you just listen to them, in fact, if you ask, how do you define social justice? You're going to get about as many definitions as there are people who advocate it. It's a very ambiguous, abstract kind of thinking In fact, many today, when they talk about justice and demanding justice, they'll talk about demanding it from structures and institutions and ethnicities. Or if they do talk about individuals, they will talk about unconscious injustices. While at the same time, they ignore quantifiable crimes like abortion, the murder of preborn babies. So they will couch the discussion of justice as it relates to 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 these structures, these so-called structures, or they will seek to decry it in, in individuals in terms of unconscious injustices. But when it comes to things like the actual murder of preborn babies, they're silent. When they explain what justice, what true justice looks like, they do so in terms of, in abstract kinds of terms. And their language, if you listen, is filled with philosophical abstractions and political jargon. Their principles are based on feelings and, and, and it's subjectively nuanced. And of course, all of this serves to their advantage. They treat justice like a wax nose. They can bend it whichever way is convenient to them. But the book of Proverbs resists 
this abstraction. It treats justice in concrete, objective terms. Justice is always a matter of personal responsibility for specific moral actions. Again, let's define justice biblically. It is right relations with those who come across life's path. And so justice is going to always be concrete. It's going to be tied to specific moral actions, ways of relationship in your life, actions that you take to those who come across your path. And what's interesting to note is that Proverbs identifies three very practical areas where injustice is most often manifest. Number one, justice will or will not manifest itself in the way one uses words. The book of Proverbs places a great deal of emphasis on the injustice of words. It emphasizes the fact that as we relate to each other, we do so through the medium of language. And Proverbs says, listen, wake up. This is where much injustice takes place. How you use your words. That is quantifiable. That's a moral, a concrete moral action for which you are directly and immediately responsible. So, for example, Proverbs 12, verse 17, he who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. Proverbs 19, verse 5, paralleled in verse 9 as well, 19, 5 and 19, 9, a false witness will not go unpunished. And he who tells lies will not escape. Proverbs 19 verse 28. A rascally witness makes a mockery of justice. And the mouth of the wicked spreads iniquity. So if you want to talk in terms of concrete justice. Start with your words. How you use your words to others and about others. That's what the Lord looks on. And and, and The manner, the tone, the truthfulness, all of those things have to do with a right relation to other people. Ask yourself the question, is that right? Another area, second area, is in the making of wealth. Justice will or will not manifest itself in how one makes wealth. Very important issue. Proverbs 11 verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is is his delight. Proverbs 16, verse 11, a just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Proverbs 20, verse 10, differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. You want to talk about a very, another very practical way that you are either expressing justice or injustice? It's how you handle your making of wealth. How you measure how you count, those are matters of justice. Are you counting correctly? Are you weighing correctly? Or are you tipping the scales? Justice, number three, will also manifest itself in how one treats the vulnerable. And when I speak of vulnerable here, the poor, the needy, the afflicted, we are talking about those who are poor and needy and afflicted, not as a just consequence to their iniquity. So we're not talking about the lazy person here who refuses to work. We're not talking about the person who has spent all his money on alcohol and spent all his money on prostitutes and therefore is needy. No, we're talking about the poor and the needy and the afflicted who are so because of no fault of their own. How do you relate to them in your life? The ones that the Lord puts across your path. Proverbs 22, 22 to 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Proverbs 23, 10. Do not move the ancient boundary or go into the fields of the fatherless. For their redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. Proverbs 29 verse 7, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such a concern. And again, we're not talking here about abstraction. We're we're not talking as the millionaire and billionaire movie stars will decry what they say is systemic racism and injustices. And meanwhile, they're continuing to buy 
multi-million dollar homes and never give any of their money. No, we're talking about it in your life in practical sense, concrete sense. How do you relate to those who come across your path who are needy? Those who come across your path who are vulnerable, do you take advantage? Do you make money off of their calamity? The book of Proverbs says that is injustice. Proverbs is not concerned about justice in the abstract. It is concerned about it in concrete situations based on concrete, divinely established moral laws to which each one of us is held accountable. Number four, and probably we will stay with this one for the rest of our time, leave the other three for you to study on your own. Number four, Proverbs is not justice, excuse me, justice is not justice if it is influenced by personal identity or payoffs. Justice is not justice if it is influenced by personal identity or payoffs. We call this partiality, and if we define partiality, we do so this way. way. Partiality is unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. It puts one's finger on the scale to tilt it in favor of someone who is preferred. Partiality occurs when one doesn't look to the law, the law of God, and one does not look to the evidence to render judgment, but instead favors or disfavors one person over another without regard to the law or the evidence. This is someone who looks upon the face And prefers one over the other. Merely on the basis of a preference. Proverbs condemns this. This is the antithesis of justice. Justice is to be blind with respect to personal identities. Think of Lady Justice. There's a reason why she has a blindfold on. She knows the law. And in her scales, she weighs the evidence. But she does not lift the fold to look upon the face of the one before her. That is justice. Now, let's see this and how this is worked out both in the book of Proverbs and beyond. Proverbs 17 verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Strong language. To one who tilts the scales in favor of the wicked or against the righteous. Proverbs 18 verse 5. To show partiality to the wicked is not good. Nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. Again, he's using moral states here. Moral qualities and saying you cannot look at a person. And on the basis of their looks ignore whether they are right or wrong. Whether they're righteous or unrighteous. Proverbs 24, verses 23 to 25. These are also the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judgment is not good. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, peoples will curse him. Nations will abhor him. But to those who rebuke the wicked will be a delight and a good blessing will come upon them. The issue that Proverbs deals with also is the issue of what we could call quid pro quo. That is, putting your finger on the scale of justice in return for a favor. And the favor in the book of Proverbs is often described as a bribe. Proverbs 17 verse 23. A wicked man receives a bribe from the bosom to pervert the ways of justice. Proverbs 28 21. To show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. In other words, bread is that basic form of payment in ancient times. And the acknowledgement there is that you can actually use bread to tilt the scales of justice. It's wrong. Proverbs 29 verse 4. The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes, who puts his finger on the scale, that person overthrows Stability. Now, this is based upon a very important Old Testament concept that goes back to the very establishment of the Mosaic Covenant. And I want to read a few texts before we close tonight because these are so crucial in our understanding 
of what's going on in society today. In fact, I'm going to read some texts to you as we close out tonight that you probably have not heard and you certainly will not hear in the contemporary discussion on justice. One of them is found in Exodus chapter 23. It's found in verses 1 to 7. Let me read this. This is at the very this is on Mount Sinai at the establishment of the covenant with Israel. And Moses receives these words, Exodus 23, 1-7. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. Stop there for just a moment. It is the very essence of the Mosaic law to say even financial status does not allow you to put your finger on the scale of justice. You cannot even mingle with the evidence and Decide in favor of someone who is more poor just because of their poverty. Justice must remain blind. The Lord continues and says this, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall return it to him surely. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him you shall surely release it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. Proverbs 19 verse 11 and 15 says this, You shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. That is true biblical justice. Deuteronomy 1.17 says this, You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear from the small and the great alike, you shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. As we wrap up for this evening, our time is over. There's five more, or or uh, three more lessons. Number five is this, justice is indispensable for the exercise of leadership. Number six is this, justice is a quality more valuable than wealth or sacrifice. And then number seven, Justice may come slowly, but it is inevitable. Proverbs testifies to the inevitability of justice. It will come. As we close our time, let us not just think of this concept in terms of how it is being maligned in the world today. Certainly, we must have a ready response to the efforts to undermine biblical truth in these dark days. But let's not fail to consider how this concept of justice convicts, admonishes, how it uncovers and exposes injustices in our own life. And as we close and spend this time in prayer, I want you to think about relationships that you have where you have not dealt rightly Those moments, those times, those occasions are sins of injustice in your life. And you are called upon by the truth of Proverbs, by the character of God himself, to go and make those things right by his grace and empowerment. Let's pray that the Lord would reveal those to us and give us the courage we need to do just that. Heavenly Father, we come to you acknowledging that you are a just God. Justice flows from the very center of your being. 
and you give the standard to us through your own self. The standard of fairness, equity, righteous relations. And as we look upon that justice, we are convicted. And we know that what we see in ourselves is only just perhaps the tip of the iceberg. We ask that this understand, this doctrine of justice would shine deeply into our hearts, reveal all the wrong relations we have or have had, and that you would be gracious to compel us to repentance and to confession and to make things right through restoration in those relations. This is not just a concept that exists somewhere out there. It must first and foremost be enthroned in our own hearts. And we ask that you would do that. And ultimately, as we think of those sins, we realize the great injustices we have done against you. That what we have done on a horizontal level in wrong relations to others pales in comparison to the great transgressions, the crimes, the injustices that we have committed against you. There would be nothing that we could do to ever restore that right relation to you. But we thank you for Jesus Christ, who himself took the penalty that justice had to unleash. He took it upon himself, and he paid the price. Our list of injustices was nailed to the cross above his head, and he paid for it in order that you through him would restore us, those who are criminals. And we thank you that by faith, we can have that right relationship, can be at peace with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.